And we bow our heads in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be now and always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, you might like to open it again or keep it open at Psalm 145. Uh, Psalm 145 that I want to share some thoughts on with you this morning. And in particular on verse 14, the Lord upholds all that fall and raises up all who are bowed down. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the things I really enjoy doing, particularly when I'm at home, is watching the weather report on the television. If you live in the UK, you know that that's never predictable, and it's one of the most interesting things um, on the telly. Uh, so, you know, you, you, you listen to this, and uh, you notice that you get people coming on these presenters, you see, and they say things like, um, today it's going to be beautiful, sunny, warm, uh, you know, everybody's going to have a wonderful time. And then you look out the window and see it's pouring with rain. And you, it's a crisis. You don't know who to believe. You know, do you believe the telly or do you believe what you see? Um, and uh, I wondered about this for a very long time. And one day I came across a meteorologist. Yeah, don't ask me how, but, you know, that, that happened. And I asked him, I said, can you explain this? Why is it? You know, the presenter on television says that it's going to be beautiful and sunny and what have you today. And, but actually, where I am, it's pouring with rain. And of course, with that look that you get in sort of PhD students, you know, who suddenly have to explain things to lesser mortals, uh, you know, that sort of weird smile that comes across their face. He said, ah, he said, yes. He said, what you need to understand is the difference between the macroclimate and the microclimate. The macroclimate is the big picture. That's what's going on over the country as a whole, where it's bright and sunny and so on. The microclimate is where you are, <laughs> which could be quite different from the macroclimate. Well, thank you very much. That explains everything. Uh, so I so said, well, why don't you deal with the microclimate? They said, well, we can't really, because there's so many of them. Uh, you know, it would take forever. We have to concentrate on the macro and let the micro take care of itself. Well, I thought about that when I looked at Psalm 145. Now, if you're an Anglican, and I know that Ed Lone is, but I'm not sure about the rest <laughs> of you, um, you, you, will, you will know that uh, the reason I chose this psalm is that it's set for the 30th morning um, of the month, and I looked through to see what I could get out of it. I suddenly realized, I thought about this incident, and I realized Psalm 145 is the weather report. Uh, you know, it's the macro climate picture. Because the psalmist here is telling us things about the world that we live in, uh, that the Creator has made this amazing universe uh, and given it over to us. He has provided for us, uh, and we, His people, rejoice. Uh, we are glad, uh, you know, we, we praise his name. I mean, look what it says. You know, the Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Uh, it's a paean of praise uh, to the God who has made us, to the God who takes care of us, to the God who loves us and, and who wants the best for us. And this is something which is very true and very wonderful and that we need to remind ourselves of. 
But then you get to verse 14, and suddenly you discover the microclimate. Because the microclimate says, the Lord upholds all that fall and raises up those who are bowed down. And you suddenly realize not everybody in the world is rejoicing, perhaps in quite the same way, uh, that there are people who fall. There are people who are bowed down. Now, of course, uh, the psalmist recognizes that, that God takes care of them. That's the point he's trying to make. But we need to be careful as we read over this because uh, here the psalmist points us towards something that is all too easy to forget. And that is uh, that human beings don't always rejoice equally in everything that happens. Some people, and these people will include people like you and me, have a hard time now and again. Now this may have happened to you in the past. It may be happening to you right now. And it may, be hap may happen to you at some time in the future. So I just want to take a few minutes to look at this uh, and to see how we can deal with this and how we fit it in to this bigger picture. The Lord upholds all that fall. Have you ever done something in your life? Have you ever failed at something of which you are ashamed? Is there something in you that you just don't want to tell other people about because you're afraid of what they might think of you if you did? You know, there's an amazing number of people who are like that one way or another. It's one of Satan's most amazing tricks that when this happens to people, you see, he draws them away uh, from, uh, from others. People sort of fold up into themselves. They don't want to share these things. They're ashamed of it. They know that other people might think badly of them if they did. And so they keep it to themselves. And of course, if they're Christians, uh, Satan has an even greater trick uh, up his sleeve uh, because he creates wonderful communities of fellowship in which you cannot share what's really on your heart and mind if what's really on your heart and mind doesn't accord uh, with the general spirit of the assembly. You know, you come here we are all praising God and somebody comes in and says, well, actually, I'm feeling pretty miserable today. Um, you know, it kind of ruins the atmosphere. Either that uh, or you end up in a rugby scrum, you know, people are sort of on top of you, busily praying for your salvation. Um, and, and that is even worse. Uh, so, uh, you know, you just keep quiet and don't say anything. But this is a very serious problem, and it's something that affects us, and we need to deal with it before we go any further. Because it's a reality that occurs in life. Uh, it's something that I've experienced many times. I mean, just the other day, uh, I got in touch with an old friend I hadn't seen for a long time. and said, you know, love to see you again. And he wrote back and said, well, I'd like to see you. We said, but I don't think I should right now because I've been in trouble and you probably don't want to see me. Now, what do you do when somebody says that to you? You know, how do you react? Because here was a classic case, you see, of somebody who just folded up, gone away, 
didn't really want to talk uh, about something because he couldn't face it, you see, in this uh, particular way. So this is a reality. This is something that happens. It can happen to you. It may be happening to you, some of you at least, right now. Then those who are bowed down. This may not be anything to do with you, any fault of your own. You could be bowed down uh, because of something that's happened to somebody else, somebody that you're, you're responsible for, perhaps, some situation that uh, you know you're involved in. It's not really anything to do with you particularly, uh, but uh, you bear the weight of responsibility uh, for what you have been given. And it's overwhelming. And you don't know where to turn. You don't know who to talk to. Uh, you know, what do you do? You're burying this in your heart. Uh, and it weighs you down. You know, and you go on, and uh, you you can't share it with other people. You can't say anything, uh, uh, and so on. Sometimes you can't, uh, particularly if you're in ministry or something. I mean, you you, you just can't go around uh, telling everybody uh, you know in creation uh, about these things. You have to keep it confidential, and that's a very difficult thing to do. Very difficult uh, pain to carry in your heart and in your mind. And you're bowed down by this. Uh, what, what are you going to do about it? And you can go around uh, feeling this way, uh, you know, sometimes for years. I remember uh, some time ago I was preaching in my own home church and I was talking about forgiveness and how God forgives us. And after the service, one lady in the church, who'd, whom I'd known for many years, she'd been a member of the church for 40 years or more, came up to me and said, I didn't agree with your sermon. And I thought, oh, hallelujah. You know, finally, somebody who's actually listened to what I was saying. <laughs> <Not only that. laughs> listened enough to disagree. You know how it is. Most people, they go out of the service and they just shake your hand and say, thank you very much, and you've no idea whether they heard anything. You think, yeah, well, I'm glad you slept well. Uh, and <laughs> off, off you go, you know. But she actually disagreed. So I said, Marion, I said, what's going on? I said, you disagreed. She said, yes. She said, you said that God forgives me. And she said, you don't know me very well, do you? I said, well, I've known you for about 40 years, probably not very well, no. <laughs> and, um, you know, and she said, if you knew what I'd done in my life uh, and some of the things that have happened to me, I said, you wouldn't be saying things like that. And I said, why not? She said, because I've done things in my life that I can't forgive myself for. I said, oh. She said, yes. She said, you know, she said, I've, I've done, said things to people. I've done things. Those people are dead now. Uh, you know, they've gone away or whatever it is. I can't, put, I can't put them right. And she said, I cannot forgive myself for some of the things that I've done in the past. And I looked at her and I said, but that was the whole point of what I was trying to say. I said, that Jesus came into the world precisely because you cannot forgive yourself. He doesn't want you to forgive yourself. You see, that's not this. He came to forgive you the things that you cannot ever forgive yourself for. And she looked at me and she said, really? And I said, yes, really. Do you mean I can be forgiven? I said, yes, you have been forgiven by the cross of Christ, by Jesus. Oh. Now, she's been a member of our church for 40 years. She's heard this, you know, uh, week in, week out, well, more or less. 
um, you know, uh, for all that time. But the penny had never dropped. It had never dropped in her particular case, you see. I mean, I'm sure she knew all about justification by faith alone and all that sort of thing. But in terms of applying it to her own life, that connection had never been made. And I just watched, and you could see the burden sort of dropping from her, her, her face. She said, I've been forgiven, you know. And the burden that had weighed her down for a generation just disappeared like that. She suddenly understood. And I realized when I said that, that you see, you never know what's going on in the hearts and minds of other people. You know, I mean, you have people sitting in front of you, what are they thinking? What are they saying? What are they saying to themselves? What is their background? What's going on? You don't know. And sometimes you're preaching a message like this, a message of forgiveness, which you know is true. You've said it a hundred times and so on. But it only comes home to somebody, you see, in this strange way uh, at a particular time. You can't predict that. You can't know that. You're bowled over when it happens. And I had to say to her afterwards, I said, Marion, I said, you're a greater woman than I, uh, I am. Uh, I said, because, to be honest with you, I never have any trouble forgiving myself. Do you? I mean, maybe you do, but I don't. I mean, I can always forgive myself anything. Um, but she's, well, yeah, of course, you know. Um, but, but she was burdened by this. She was bowed down. And what a wonderful thing. And when you look back, you think, well, that was actually a good thing. You see that she was, she was bowed down by this because she was being prepared to hear the message. Now, I say this because many of you are going into ministry, and I want to think about that for a minute. You may not be going through these problems yourself. Maybe you are. Maybe you will at some time, that's, and you have to deal with that if it is in your own life. But what is certain is that you will be dealing with other people who are. Uh, because you, you may have this sort of mythical idea of ministry, you know, where you sit in your office and somebody comes along, knocks on the door, and, and they've got a problem they want to share, and the problem they want to share is... Um, you know that somewhere in lesson three of Christianity Explored, uh, there's something they don't understand. And could you please explain superlapsarianism to them? Um, you know, and you think, oh, this is what I've been trained to do. You know? <laughs> All my theological training. Unfortunately, that's not what happens. Uh, I'll tell you a story that happened to me when I was in ministry. The woman came and knocked on the door, and uh, she said she had a problem with her husband. Well, that's not the first one, of course. But um, and I said, what's wrong? And he said, well, he comes home from work and he wipes his dirty hands on my clean tea towels. And she said, I am just going crazy. She said, I don't know what to do. She said, do I divorce him? Do I murder him? You know, she said, I'm just, I'm just tossing this round in my mind. And I thought, well, don't divorce him, you know, because he'll just go marry somebody else and mess up her tea towels. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's, that's not really the answer. I said, 
murder is clearly the only solution that's going to work. <laughs> but <laughs> well, it's true, isn't it? I mean, that that puts an end to everything. Um, and but I thought to myself, well, I can't really say that you know, because because I might get into trouble. I mean, you know, inciting to murder is not a good idea. So I said, look, I said, why don't you just put the tea towels away and get some paper towels, you know, and put them there? Because I'm sure your husband doesn't really care what he wipes his dirty hands on, you know, as long as he's got something to do that with when he comes in the door, and, and just solve it that way. And sort of the light sort of dawned, you know, and she went off and, and did that, and apparently they li they've lived happily ever after. <laughs> and... But you see, I'm like Jonah, you see, far from sort of rejoicing and saying, you know, I've saved a marriage, I've saved a life. Uh, no, I sit there and I, I say, Lord, why do you send me these nutters? <laughs> you, you know, have, haven't you got a higher vision for my ministry <laughs> than this? Um, but you see, the my point I'm trying to make is that you see, other people's problems very often can seem to you to be very trivial. Oh, I could solve your problems in five minutes. But the first thing I have to realize is that your problems are your problems. And they take you over. You know, it's no good me sort of living in the macro climate of, of, of everything and not re realizing that there's a little cloud over you. And that, that little cloud over you dominates everything in your life. Everything is geared to this. Getting you to see the bigger picture is not necessarily an easy thing to do. But I have to enter in, as a minister of the gospel, I have to enter in to your life. I have to stand where you stand, and I have to minister to you in that place. That's the first thing. I have to reach out to you where you are and not where I would prefer you to be. Because, of course, if I were honest, I'd prefer you to be somewhere else. Uh, and, uh, you know, well, um, especially if your problems are that, tri are that trivial. Uh, so, no, you see, you have to sort of deal with the people that come before you as they are, accept them as they are, and uh, reach out to them. That's the first thing. The second thing you have to realize is that you cannot solve their problem. Only God can do that. The psalmist says this. You see, the psalmist doesn't say, oh, I'm going to lift up the, the fallen and, and the, the downhearted and so on so that they can worship God like everybody else. No, he said, the Lord does this. And this is, again, extremely important to remember. We are servants, you see. We are servants of the king. When Jesus, after the, the, the Last Supper, got up and he washed the disciples' feet, he told them when he finished, now you go and do the same. You go and wash each other's feet. And this is what our ministry is. We wash each other's feet. You see, we take care of one another, not because we can solve your, each other's problems, but because we are bearing witness to the one who has solved the problem for us. And by reaching out to somebody like that, by showing the love of Christ to another person, you see, what you are really doing is opening them to receive the king of kings themselves in their own lives. You see, you're preparing the way uh, for the coming of Christ into that person's life. 
You're making it possible for them to hear the message of the gospel. Now, of course, you can only do this if you have heard it yourself. You can't give to somebody else something that you haven't got. I mean, it's a waste of time if you try to do this. And so you have to think, well, what has Jesus, what has God done for you and for me? And here we have it, you see. He has raised up the fallen. He has uh, uplifted uh, the brokenhearted. Because each one of us, one way or another, are in this condition at some time in our lives. It's called conviction of sin, if you like. Uh, and when you come to the point of realizing what God has done for you. Now, I often tell my students that they are extremely lucky that I am not God. And, of course, some people realize, didn't realize that. They thought, I did think I was God, but I'm not. And I said, no, you're very lucky that I'm not God. I said, because if I were, there's no chance that any of you would ever get to heaven. I said, I can stand you for an hour in class, but eternity, no way. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it's not that I dislike you, it's just that, well, I'm not going to let my house be ruined by people like you. And I say this with all sincerity because this is the way we think. See, I say this, I'm honest. You don't say it, but you're dishonest. <laughs> because, because you wouldn't want them either. You know, think of this for a minute. What do you contribute to God? You know, what, how is heaven going to be improved by having you in it? Well, it's not, is it? I mean, you cannot make God bigger, better, and more wonderful than he already is. You cannot make heaven more perfect, better than it already is. So put yourself in the position of God for a minute and think of this and say, why on earth would God reach out to you and me to send his son into the world to die for you and me so that we would live with him in eternity? I mean, what's in this for him? You know, what advantage does this give to him? And when you realize none, you see, God does not gain anything from reaching out to save you and me. This is an act of love. That's what the Bible calls it. Love which goes against logic. You see, love uh, which transcends uh, the, the truth in a way. It doesn't deny the truth. It faces the truth. The truth is that you and I are sinners who are lost. How do you deal with this? You send your son to take the burden on himself. He is the one who has taken on himself our sins. He is the one who has taken on himself our disgrace. He is the one who has taken our place on the cross, who has died for us, making it possible for us to stand not in ourselves, not in our own righteousness, but in his righteousness. I am crucified with Christ, said Paul. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ in me, the hope of glory. See, that's the mystery. That's the wonder of the gospel. I don't deserve to go to heaven. 
I don't belong there. It's not my home. You see, by right. I have been adopted into his family, adopted something I don't deserve, but something that he has reached out to me in love to do this, to bring me into his presence. And this is the message that I have to proclaim to others. This is the wonder, this is the truth. And when you meet people who are, have fallen, when you meet people who are burdened uh, with one thing or another, this is the message that you have for them. You see, you cannot sin too much for God. You cannot go too far away. You cannot say to, to, to God what this woman in our church was saying, I cannot be forgiven. You know, the door is closed. Uh, I've gone so far away. What, you know, God doesn't mean anything to me. God can't do anything for me. He has done it in Christ. He has sent his son into the world. And this is the only solution. You see, I can't solve your problem. You can't solve other people's problems. But you can point them to the Christ who did. And in Christ, you see, what we see is how the macroclimate and the microclimate come together. Because on the one hand, he is the Lord of heaven and earth the one who has made everything, the one who provides everything, the one who, uh, who, whom we worship and adore forever. But this God, who is the supreme ruler of the universe, is also the one who has come into your heart and life and has said, I forgive you. I want you. I love you. And I'm not going away until I take you home to be with me doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. I want you to live with me in eternity. And when we realize that, then we realize what the psalmist is saying, that God lifts up the fallen. He raises the brokenhearted. And hallelujah, that that is the God that we worship. Thank you very much.